Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but it can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hello, we are back, series two of Spinning Plates podcast. This is exciting. Oh, this is lovely, yeah. I've been having a nice time in the last five or six weeks or so since the last episode was published, um, interviewing lots of lovely women, having lovely conversations, a lot of them your suggestions. So thank you if, you're, if you put a comment for me with um, a suggestion of who to speak to. Thank you very much. I followed up on loads of them. So hopefully this series you'll see some names of people that you're hoping to listen to. Um, and, uh, how have you been? How have the last five weeks or so been treating you? I hope you're feeling okay. I hope you're keeping upbeat. It's, you know, it's still very tough time out there. Uh, there are reasons to be cheerful, but, you know, it's, I feel a little bit like when you're a kid and you're trying to run really fast and then someone puts their hand on your forehead, so you're sort of running on the spot. Been a little bit of that going on. But, you know, I am lucky there's, you know, lots of projects and things to look forward to, and I've, I'm sure, like you, I just really thrive on momentum. It turns out this year I've learned that massively. Um, I'm really trying not to ask the question about whether you've been spending time with other podcasts since we last saw each other. Because if I do ask you if you've been seeing other podcasts, I know that then I'm going to want to ask the name of those podcasts and how frequently you're spending time with them and that kind of thing. I just don't think it's healthy. I think we should focus on the positive. We're reunited. And if you tell me I'm your favourite, I'll believe you. I will. I'm a sucker for it. Thank you for coming back to me. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, today's guest, you want to hear about that? Lovely, lovely chat I had with Nadia Hussain. Um, I wanted to speak to her. She's on my list for ages because, um, you know, she's she's always intrigued me. She's she's clearly so warm and, and likeable, but she's also got this kind of stillness in her and patience and bucket loads of wisdom. She's become a spokesperson for anxiety and speaks very candidly about her own anxiety uh struggles to bond with her baby when she had her first baby but also lovely things like her family life um how she fell in love with her husband that came through her she met through an arranged marriage um how she has her muslim faith in on her own terms rather than maybe quite such a traditional upbringing she had um yeah there's there's just loads of topics we covered and most importantly we spoke about food which is just always my favorite thing to talk about so lucky me um thank you also to nadia so with all the the conversation i've been having for this podcast they've always been in person which is my favorite but nadia was shielding so we did it remotely and it was my first time of doing it remotely and that was a bloody nightmare uh so 
invisible hats off to Nadia for sticking it out with me. She's incredibly patient. I think we lost our connection about eight times. If you're someone that works for Clean Feed, please go back to your comment and sort it out. It was, a, <laughs> I'm sure I was doing something wrong, but I like upgraded my subscription during the chat and all that kind of thing. So it just didn't work. It was just horrible. In fact, it was kind of traumatic. I've never met Nadia and I thought that's just not what I wanted to associate me with. But anyway, it doesn't matter. We got through it. We had a lovely conversation. We managed to keep the thread going. I think we were genuinely having a nice time talking to each other. And enough of my, what's become quite a characteristic waffle, I think. Uh, thank you so much for coming back to me. Or if you're joining me, thank you. Enjoy the chat with Nadia. See you on the other side. Woohoo! How have you found your, we probably get the lockdown chat out the way. How's everything been for you with lockdown? I mean, good. I mean, it's been it's been better than I expected, actually, because I think at first it was really stressful. I mm. found it really stressful because I was just like, how are we going to manage the kids? And, like, I've got a f- nearly 14-year-old, nearly 13-year-old, and she'll little girl will be 10. So they're, they're a little bit older. So in some ways, it, it was it was okay. Then, you know, it's ha- harder to entertain little ones because they need more kind of just a bit more interaction. And I say that, but, like, my 14-year-old will come in every 10 minutes and say, hey, mom, and I'm like, okay. Go, 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 go. So, like, don't be surprised if you see, if you hear children and doorbells and Amazon orders and just, like, it will happen. Yes. Um, so, yeah. I, I mean, I know you've got little ones as well, so... I do, yeah. yeah I've totally... got five. So, my eldest is yeah. um, 16. He had a birthday during the lockdown. And then um, then they're 11, 8, 4 and 1. So, I'm totally with you on the little ones being quite... It's the first bit of lockdown. I just thought, there's absolutely no way I'm going to be able to do this. And I didn't plan... But do, do you... <laughs> Do your older kids help out with the little ones more? Then? Mm, my eldest is pretty brilliant, actually. He's really good with the, with the youngest. But the kind of middle three, there's quite a lot of dynamics that go on. And I think yes. for all of them, they missed having school and a place where they could just be their own person because obviously at home, the yeah. family dynamic is so set. So yeah. they kind of missed that bit where they could just... Um, you know, like my middle one, who's eight, he, Ray, he just was like, oh, I just missed being able to just be Ray because here is always the youngest of the eldest ones and the... Um, the eldest of the smallest, so I think he just found it a bit discombobulating, really. And he actually took to dressing yeah. up a lot, I think, just to sort of find his find his own little place again. Yeah. But um, yeah. I don't know if you saw it, but there's a guy called John Ronson, a writer who I really love, and he um, has a lot of, like, social anxiety issues, and he's mm. always very open about it. But he said with the lockdown, he found it strangely calming. And I wondered if you found that as well, because he said it actually took a lot of the press. Firstly, because something cataclysmic has happened, which he was always worried about anyway. But secondly, he didn't have to see people and do things and be at things. Yeah, it's really odd because as somebody who suffers with um, panic disorder, um, social situations always make me, stress me out a little bit anyway. And I think Mm. because when you work in the public eye, there's this kind of, there's this idea that you're naturally just very good at just being in crowds or with people. And that's not true at all. No. Um, and, and, And everything I do is, crowd facing and, and meeting lots of people but it's because with my panic disorder you, my natural reaction is to do everything that the government asked us to do at the beginning of March which is stay away from people stay at home yeah don't go out mm-hmm. and it was the government was then telling me to do everything that I was already feeling which felt so counterintuitive because actually what I wanted them nobody's ever told me to do you know I've always been told to do the opposite don't you know go out socialize more try and interact a little bit more and now the government was telling me well you have to you have to do all of those things so I had nowhere to go it's like well you're already telling me what I would naturally do anyway so I was like well this isn't this isn't helping yeah um so I found that really really odd and I think I really struggled the first few weeks with the kids at home and really worrying about their education it took a good four weeks before I kind of just said Oh, do you know what? I am never going to get this time back again. Exactly. Let them let them wake up at half nine. Let them finish at half two. What's the big deal? Like, who cares if we have some cake for dinner? Who cares? Like, yeah. it didn't. Like, literally, all the rules and boundaries that I'd set up, they, they we kind of we, they're not gone, but they've definitely. I'm too much of a control freak to completely mm-hmm. let go of, of all of the rules. But there's definitely been a relaxing of rules, which I've actually really enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> Worked out well. Um, yeah. So um, one of the reasons I want to speak to you is because um, I was reading your book and there's so much in it that I think is really relatable because 
when you first become a mum, it's so easy to feel like you're playing the part of all these different roles, but you sort of lose yourself in the middle of it. Do you think that's a fair, fair way to describe how you felt after you had your first yeah, baby? Yeah, I, I think I, I was so young. When I think back now at how young, I was only 21, so I just turned 21 after I'd had him. So that's, I think back now and I look at 21-year-olds now and they're all on TikTok. It's like, Mm. what was I doing at 21? I was breastfeeding, not sleeping, completely exhausted at 21. So I I, I kind of look back now and I think it was a brave choice to have a child so young, but it was one that I don't regret at all because, you know, 35, I feel great. You know, I've got, you know, my kids have grown up and I've still got energy, which is fantastic. It feels really good to be at that point in my life, Mm. but certainly... If you told me at 21 that, look, you're going to love having them around, you know, you're going to love every moment of this even more when you're 35, um, I wouldn't have believed, I wouldn't have believed anyone because it was, it does, there is, you know, we grow up with this, um, certainly for me growing up in the culture that I did, you know, you have a set role, you, 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 you know, you are your father's daughter, you're your husband's wife, and then you are your son's mother. And that's, like and there's always there's always somebody above you. There's always some you are always somebody something. But you there's never anyone who. When do you just be you? Mm. And that's something I think through life I've had to really kind of constantly. I had to I've had to constantly kind of dig just a little bit more to. There are moments where I am just somebody's mum. You know I'm just my children's mother and I am just my husband's wife and I am my parents' daughter. And and that's something that I've just learned to accept that that is who I am. I can't take that away, but. What happens in in those moments is that I forget that I can just be me, mm. and um, I have to take moments in my life where I just have to kind of drag myself away and say, "Look, what makes you you?" But in the same breath, they make me who I am as well. So I can't take away from the fact that I'm all of those things. But you know, it, it's it's a massive battle trying to find a bit of you or eking a little bit of your eking a little bit of yourself out of all of that. Um, and that's been a struggle that I've always had and what I've learned to accept, especially through writing this book, is that actually they are, they make up such a big part of who I am mm. that there's no point in denying that. Um, but there are moments where I have to step back and say, look, you don't have to always be doing something for someone. Yeah. You, can just, you can just be you. And I suppose I'm on that journey even now um, at 35. You know, I'm still on that journey where I'm constantly kind of trying to find myself and um, maybe I'm, I've yet to, maybe I need to climb a mountain to do it, but I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I think I, I feel like that a, a bit myself at 41. I think, um, you know, there's so much, uh, you want so much to be a, a good mother and to have a, a, a happy marriage and, you know, be thriving with your work stuff if that's what you're doing and all those things and be a good friend. And it can be really, um, you can find yourself just spread very thin. And I think... Mm-hmm. Especially, it's kind of been highlighted in the last um, six months, but when I'm home, I'm always very accessible to everybody. Because I go and I work, I feel like at home I should always be accessible. And because yes. of that, I couldn't suddenly change the dynamic. So I think it's, it's something I've sort of realised recently, really, that I've got to be a bit better with boundaries. Actually, I don't think the kids mind that much if you're quite clear about it. I think it's just when you don't really make it a thing, then they just think, well, no, you're on tap, really. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think because, yeah, like you, because when I work away, I'm not here. So they, like I have this god-awful fear that, you know, they're not eating, they're not sleeping, everything's going, like, I feel like they're just, like, that part, that house party in Mrs. Doubtfire, that's what I imagine in my head. You know, that, <laughs> at the very beginning, that house party, I'm like, that's what they're doing, that's what they're doing. <laughs> they're eat, they're mm. eating pizza and ice cream before bed and they've got animals in the house and they are having a great old party. And that's kind of what I imagine in my head. But that actually, will be true one day, Nadia. <laughs> it will, oh gosh, oh gosh, I've got all that to look forward to. Yes, so, but... Oh, hello? What the hell does that mean? Spinning plates has gone away. Ah! Oh, Richard. Darling, I don't understand what's happened. It says spinning plates has gone away. We were in the middle of a chat and it just went, spinning plates has gone away. 
I don't know what that means. Is she gone? Yeah, but I think she'll be back. Oh, will she be back when it says connect when she's just there? Okay, don't worry. In that case... Um, it's still recording. Yeah, don't worry. She's gone twice already. This is the third time. It just, it's just so frustrating because it just suddenly goes and it just pops away. But she'll be back. She'll just click on the link again. Send a new link? No, it's fine. It, it's it, it's actually what happened. Do you remember when I was doing mine? It happened to me. Oh, is she on her phone? It might be when she gets a text. I did say that. I'll, t- I'll say it again just in case. Is it an iPhone? Um, I don't know. Because you go if you go like that and press the moon. Okay. I'll just I'm here. Can you hear Hello. me? Hello. Um, I was just talking to Richard because I panicked, but I think... Does it sound like it maybe gets tra- caught, disconnected when you get a phone call or something? Or a text. Or a text or anything? Oh. I don't know. I haven't seen if I've got any texts. I don't think I've got any. Oh, so. Don't worry. You know you, what? We, we can battle through. You should through. do this anyway. Oh, yeah. I is, can it, do. is it an iPhone that you're on? Mm, what, my phone? Yeah. No, it's Samsung. Oh. No, I don't know those. There's a way of turning it on, so turning your notifications off. But. I'll have it. I'll, I, I could do that now. Well, if it's easy. Let me just, yeah, let me just, let me just go on to, uh, da, da, da. okay, let's turn everything off, off, <laughs> everything's off, like Wonderful. literally okay, gone, give it a go. gone, gone, don't Honestly, call me. I, I've, you know what, I've been really lucky up to now, and this is, it's right, baby, with my back, thank you, um, I've been able to do all the chats face-to-face, so this is my first oh, okay. frustrating foray into the world of... Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's, as you say, we're used to right. interruptions and right. picking up where you're I've just turned notifications off of everything, so let's <laughs> sorry, just... Sorry, Nadia. I won't keep you too long, I promise. I just have to, um, remember, I have to remember to turn them back on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'll be thinking, oh, I'm having a really peaceful day. Yeah. This is great. Um, so, do you th- did your life change? It's funny. I did. Um, I did Strictly Come Dancing years ago, and uh, it's the closest yeah. thing I've got as a kind of comparison to to what you did in terms of like that kind of show. And um, it was such a like traumatic and formative and exhilarating, but big thing that I can't. Even, I don't even call it that at home. I always call it the dancing program because otherwise my family would get really like, oh, because it takes all your family along with it. And I wondered, yes. is it the same for you with Bake Off? Do you have like your own word for it in your house so that you're not always saying when I did Bake Off? <laughs> Oh. Yeah, I don't. We don't really use that word anymore. Uh, on, on my kids, just say the show. Like yeah, they go. On the, on the the, yeah, they say on the show when you were on the show. We don't talk about it. And I suppose since then, I've done a lot of shows, so they don't really like. They don't even watch the stuff that I do. So nah. to them, they don't really care. Like they don't care that to them it's just a job. They don't care that this is my life and this is what I do. They don't. I force them to watch my cookery shows. I'm like, come on, just one episode. Come on, 15 minutes, 15 minutes. And I can see them like slowly, I can see them just going after 15. I'm like, go yeah. on, just go. Just leave, just don't leave. Worry. It's I'm mine. familiar with I'm, this too. Yeah, I'm going to try not to be offended. Go on, off you go. Nah, it's, um, kind of, it's kind of a comforting dynamic, that, isn't it? You sort of want that for them, really. You want them to be a bit, we don't want them to turn into fans of what we're up to. I think that'd be a bit peculiar, That's really. Yeah, I think it is. And I think it does. It, and, and doing something like Bake Off, you do, there is a, you, you don't really do it alone. You do it with the people that are closest to you. Absolutely. Because there's so much secrecy and you can't, like, especially with something like Bake Off, you can't talk about it. You can't tell lots of people that you're on it because, mm. you know, you don't get announced till weeks, weeks, months later. So there is this massive kind of um, bubble of secrecy in it. It's like I did, there was a point where I was like, oh my goodness, my children are going to be compulsive liars. They're going to be compulsive liars. And I really was scared because I was like, guys, this is when you can lie. And then it's like, now you don't have to lie. I'm like, oh my God, I've messed my children up. <laughs> Luckily, five years later, they don't seem too bad. Like, nah. I think they know uh, the difference between right and wrong. Um, yeah. But yeah, it just, it, it does consume you and it does take away from you. And I, I up until the point I did Bake Off, I was a stay-at-home mum. So um, they were living in a world where I was just, you know, she's here one minute and she's just gone every weekend for 10 weeks. Mm. Um, so that was very odd for them. Yeah, but to, from the outside looking in, it looked like that that moment in your life was really pivotal because um, I know your your book was called Finding My Voice, but reading through it, I felt like you had a real clarity of, of your voice from when you were really little, actually, about how you felt about things and the bits of your mum and dad's um, marriage and your upbringing that you thought, you know, you could see the what you've, you know, resonated with you and the bits that you thought you might yeah. leave behind. But think, maybe it's, it just takes that time just to find something of actually, but 
giving yourself the feeling entitled to actually being heard and have and being you know mm. more extrovert with what you're what you're thinking. Um, I think if I think about myself as a child and and how I go I think about how much I pester used to pester my dad. I think there was something about me that always wanted change whatever that was mm. like that need to be maybe different or or to stand out uh, because I think when you're one of six and when you said that you've got five kids I know what it's like to be in the middle. I know how, what it's like to be the youngest of the eldest and the eldest of the youngest mm. and somewhere in there you kind of what makes what's your and I I I was we, we, I was talking to my husband very recently about like what's my USP like what what what's special about me you know I'm not like I grew up in a family of you know I'm one of six you know the eldest is always going to be the eldest mm-hmm. the youngest is always going to be the baby yeah. and you know I've got a brother and sister who were very sick as children so they were sick so they had they had that was their thing um that's how they you know that's where they got loads of attention mm-hmm. and i'd question everything and my dad had absolutely hated that but i suppose that was me in the making that was who i was always going to be mm-hmm. and i suppose because i i in adulthood i took on the traditional roles that i never wanted to as a like i used to watch my mom and and think like is that it like every aunt every cousin every um everybody that i know every woman they they just always had one role it was young get married have children and be a housewife and i just kind of didn't want i just never wanted that for myself i just felt like there were i had so much more to give because you know i started writing at a young age you know really got into um slam poetry so i kind of had lots to give mm. and it just felt like such a like i felt like i don't want to i felt i felt like i felt wasted i felt wasted yeah. i was like why why would i just want to be what my mum is and I'd never I don't want I never want to put my mum down because she worked really hard to raise our family and mm. she did her the best job she could with the very little that she had and I never ever want to put that put her down but I always wanted more for myself and more for my sisters and just yeah. more um because I was watching my peers you know go to on to university have careers have jobs and I kind of aspired for all of those to to have yeah. all of those things and i didn't think that was in in my kind of head i didn't think that that was too much or a too big a dream to achieve and in the end you know i never went to university i wasn't allowed to go to university as as the first girl to get into university i wasn't allowed because there's too much you know being first generation british and parents who were immigrants and grandparents who were afraid of the country that they lived in they were scared to let me go out into this world that they knew nothing about so like at the time i was angry but like now i understand their fears better as a parent um Yeah, but, you know, but, wow. I was I mean you, you you wouldn't it's funny isn't it how things can change just in the course of one generation because mm. presumably you would never think of anything like that with your own kids in terms of putting any restrictions or expectations on them like that. No, absolutely not, but, but this is like I see this world as mine. Like I see this country as mine. My parents mm. didn't see that. So I understand where they were slightly blindsided by the fact that I wanted to go off to university in a world that they didn't really understand or enjoy. Mm. Um and you know, they were, you know, they grew up with racism, you know, being abused and you know, they locking their doors after a certain time because of the abuse they were going to get. And, like quite race, you know, quite a lot of racist abuse my parents had and so did my grandparents. So, you know, to them that was the world they they never wanted me to be a part of that world because they were afraid of it so i totally get that but yeah. this is you know this is my country this is where i was born this is home for me so and it's home for my children so it's not a it's not a place that i fear i'm not scared of it so um certainly i wouldn't put those restrictions on my children but it led me to become it led me to a path that i kind of almost wanted to avoid which was to be a young housewife to be a mom and and i think i always battled with that i always struggled yeah. with that and for me bake off had to be that pivotal moment because i got to then be in that moment where i did that speech people always asked me and said oh you did you rehearse that speech is absolutely how would i have rehearsed yeah i'm like i've got a three tier wedding cake to make i had not re- rehearsed <laughs> i hadn't rehearsed that speech that was just what came out in that moment because i was such a mess but you know and i didn't expect to win like when i won i remember looking down at my shoes thinking yep they need to go in the washing machine there's icing sugar all over those so you can't get the mum out of me there's there was the mum was still there um and i i i i remember winning and and that moment where like a 20 minutes of crying at the camera nothing came out and then those words came out and i watched that those words back sometimes and i read those words back sometimes and i say to the kids like it's i look at them and i think that was that was much more than cake and mm. anyone who followed that journey and watched me or or especially my husband who knows me very well like will know that that was that speech that that 
that bit at the end was much more than cake and winning a baking competition. Absolutely. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah. No, I mean, I think those things in your life always are. And there's lots of strands, aren't there? I mean, you sound like someone that sometimes runs headlong into things that you know are scary because you quite like, you feel like it's kind of, you know, not doing something because it's scary is not enough of a reason not to do it. Mm. Um, and I, I really identify with that bit. But I think also, I don't know if this is true for you, but um, I know when my sister's been under bits where she's been very stressed, she turns to baking because it's it's an area you can control and if you add this to this to this it will produce that and yeah. I wonder if maybe you know that that sort of resonates as well in terms of being able to have that shape like okay I'm going to make that cake and it will turn out like this so long as I do these things I wish it always turned out like that <laughs> it doesn't always but it's control for me it's it's control I think um they sometimes life has a way of just doing its own thing no matter how much you, you best plan everything and you make sure that you've got structure in place mm-hmm. and, but life has a way you know of because that's what that's what life is you know it, you, you can control and plan all you like but life has a way of just going the way it wants to go and so that's what I found with baking for me has been like the thing that I can control Um, and being able to, when you have that, especially when I'm anxious and I talk really openly about my mental health and being really anxious and struggling with that. Um, it's the only thing where I can just kind of have a page where I know that that page is going to, from start to finish, lead me to some, something that like a finished product at the end that I've done. And I think it's a control thing for me, you know, being able to do something from start to finish where, um, nobody has a hand in it it's just me Mm. that is really like for me that's something that I I I really enjoy because I can just kind of be in that moment and in that moment when I'm baking or I'm doing something in the kitchen it's there's no like despite the distractions it's just all mine yeah and I don't have to really think about anything else Um, and sometimes I I, in 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 the middle of baking something or following those instructions I find myself worrying about when this ends because when it ends I have to go back to doing all the other things yeah uh and and it's weird for me because baking was is still very much my thing that I do when I'm anxious or struggling but it's also become my job so I've had to learn to set some boundaries where I can differentiate between the two um but like I still find joy in testing six recipes a day because (laughs) my kids get to come back from school some days and they're like uh mom what we having for dinner and it could be cake and shrimps 
and pie and you name it, like oh, it, noodles, everything. It's just like, it's, it's just like oh, for, for, for about eight weeks of the year, my kids come home Monday to Friday with a banquet every single day on the table. <sighs> Yeah, my neighbours. Yeah, we we have a wheelbarrow and like we kind of take things over to the neighbours and they're like, "What do you want? What do you want? Take whatever you want. There's there's dinner. There's breakfast. Whatever you like." And they just take it. It's oh, really cool. I love it. They do. I bet it's, I bet it's delicious. I would take it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't live near you. I'm going to come round when it's wheelbarrow day. To... Can you let me know, please? Yeah, 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 yeah. You come round. <laughs> um, can Can you remember now that bit where you were a new mum? There's a bit in your book actually that made me kind of laugh. At the sort of it was so. Your mum, it was so sort of bleak when you said that um, you just had your first baby and you were feeling really emotional and, you know, after the birth and everything. And then as she was leaving, you started sobbing and saying, I don't know if I can do this. And your mum says, this is what it is to be a mum. You will always feel like this. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bleak. <laughs> it is. It's dark, isn't it? It's like, get over yourself. Yeah. This is it's what terrible, it, isn't my it? Welcome to motherhood. <laughs> yeah, but like my mum's, like my mum's, you know, she's a Southeast Asian mum. She's not, she doesn't mince her words. She's like, <laughs> get over it. Like, honestly, if I say, mum, do I look fat in this dress? She'll say, your fat makes you look fat in that dress. That's the kind of mum I have. So she doesn't muck around. She doesn't mince her words. She doesn't dilly-dally. It's just, it is what it is. And mm. I quite, I quite, I love her for it sometimes. Um, and, yeah, I, I remember in that moment, I remember saying to my mum, mum, I, I just, I don't, it is quite dark because you don't, as a mum, you're constantly told uh, and you read and you, you kind of, you're told that you'll get this rush, this rush of emotions and you're going to feel love like you've never felt before. And when you are anticipating that, it's the worst thing because when you don't know, you can't, you can't quite pinpoint whether you felt it yet. And mm-hmm. so I remember after I'd had him, I was like, have I, have I, have I felt that yet? Is it, is, when, when does this, you know, when you expect the bells and the whistles and the fireworks. Yeah, absolutely. And I was like, what, why haven't I felt it? Is, is it when, when does it come? Like, where, is there a book out there that's going to tell me that this is the exact point where you're going to get this feeling? Mm. Because after 60 something stitches, fourth degree tear, bleeding out and, and being in and out of consciousness, um, not being able to stand for six hours, having a catheter bag fitted right, you know, where you could just kind of, you're seeing it fill up, fill up and you're just kind of just constantly just in and out of consciousness and vomiting in between all of that. It's hard to find the joy somehow <laughs> yeah, in all of that. Yeah, and then I'm kind of like sleeping and in and out and I'm looking and I'm like, that's, yep, that's, that's, that's the baby, right? That's what I was here to do. And yeah. it becomes then again an exercise of, right, I've done this bit now, now where's the rest of it? And, and, um, it is quite dark, but I remember it was really like sort of weeks later when my husband went back to work. I sobbed. I was like, I don't know if I can do this on my own. Why do you have to go to work? And it's like to pay the mortgage and pay for this baby. Um, and it, it was in that moment when he had gone, when I really, that, that, that textbook moment when they say you feel that rush of love. Genuinely, it was a, a few weeks later where he had gone off to work and I realized that like this little human being needs me. And in that moment, I realized that I think I need him more. Aww. And that was when I felt it. And so now I'm not a big believer in textbook, you know, textbook emotions where people tell you this is what you're going to feel. You will feel what you feel and it's, and you, and it's validated and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, but that is a very powerful. And I think actually it's really reassuring that even if it doesn't start off the way that you're hoping, it can all start to find its feet. Um, even when, you know, th- that bit where you felt really hopeless and said, I don't know if I can do it. You know, you, at that point, it's unimaginable that even, it's, you know, a few weeks later, you're going to feel a bit better. And Yeah. I, mean, I wonder what, you know, I suppose, yeah, you at 21 or you at 25 when you've had your three babies would have thought of the life you're living now. Do you think, what do you think sort of, I suppose it's hard to think of pre-baby you because you were still so little. You might not have even really mm. had much time to think about what kind of mum you wanted to be. Do you, do you think you had an idea of what kind of mum you wanted to be when you were a teenager, I, I suppose? It's, oh, it's really weird. I, I, I didn't want to have any. Oh. <laughs> I, right up until the age of, until I got married, like right up to the point where I got married, I, I kind of convinced myself that I wasn't going to have any children. Wow, um, which actually would be a pretty pretty big statement, I guess, after the your upbringing and being one of six and... Yes, because, you know, we, you know, six is like, my mum's, my mum's actually got not very many children in our family. So lots of our family members, like her sister's got, I think my dad's one of 15, 14. 
15. Yeah, so, yeah I'm one of 67 grandkids. 67, <laughs> I think, or 68. That is a lot of grandbabies. Yes. 67? I think that's why my granddad died early. He's just like, <laughs> forget this, I'm out. <laughs> I can't remember anyone's name anymore. <laughs> Who are you? I don't remember the last sort of like, I don't know the names of the last maybe 25. I know the rest. Wow. But, um, I'm one of 67 grandkids. That's my amazing. My mum's one of... Yeah, my mum's one of eight, but, like, only four survived. So, like, one of four. So, and each one, like, all of them have... Like, my mum's got six kids. And um, to be honest, that's, like, not very many. Like, that, my mum's, mm. like, one of, the, one of the women in the family who's got not that many kids because all of them have sort of seven, eight, nine kids. So yeah. we, we're, we're, we're a small family. So yeah. to say that, you know, I did, didn't think that I ever wanted to have children. And I always said to myself, I'd only have children with somebody who... I know would be a good dad mm. because I think it's really important to find a good dad yeah. in a husband and because, you know, you're kind of stuck forever. And, um, and, and that's why I, I remember just when I met my husband, I was like, he's going to be, good. I feel like he's going to be a good dad. I did take a chance on him, but you know, he, it, it, it worked out all right. Yeah. Um, well, you kind of, it sounds like you almost grew up, grew up together alongside each other as well, because it's, you know, you're both young when you got together and, still working out who you are as well. So you yeah. sort of evolved. There's a lot of working same. out. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of working stuff out together that has brought us where we are 15 years later. Um, so to, it, would be, it would have been a bold statement to say, I don't want to have any children ever. But um, it's by far one of the best things I've done and by far one of the hardest. Yeah. If anyone ever says, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? It's just, and it still is, you know, we're still raising human beings. That's yeah. a big responsibility. It's not like, it's not like having a cat really it's no very different it's a whole human i know and it's always changing and actually in a way it gets when they're little i think there's a lot of talk about their personality coming out but actually i think as they get older it's your personality as a parent that comes out too because the beginning bit you know is all about keeping your baby fed and dry and changing their nappy and making sure they sleep and so long as you know pretty much anybody could take on that role but as they get older there's all these forks in the road about how your house is going to be and, you know, what your values are and what's important to you. And so that kind of yeah. starts to emerge. And sometimes you can surprise yourself by the things that you actually think, no, this is actually really important to me and the things yeah. that aren't so important as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, can you remember what... It, did you always want to work, do you think, or did you not think that was really... Oh, yeah. No, I've, I mean, I worked up until the point I got married and then oh, okay. um, after... And then, you know, I had, like, two jobs verging on three at some point so when, what, I worked, when you had so, young babies or when you were before no, that no so before that so okay. and then when, when when I had the children it just it turned out that like it made no sense for me to go to work mm -hmm. to pay for childcare that I couldn't afford yeah. for my husband to then have to top up mm -hmm. and I just said it's not worth it it's it's easier for me to stay at home raise our family and for you to kind of kind of climb the ladder of your career and and do really well that's right with work so so for a long time, you were just a stay-at-home mum. And what, during that time, did you always have aspirations or do you think you kind of put your own ambitions on the back burner for a while? No, I think I, think I continued to, like, while having the kids, I think, if anything, you know, I think as a writer, I found myself, uh, they, I, when you have children, you're full of inspiration to write new things because of all the emotions and the new challenges that you face as a parent. So I found myself writing an awful lot. I suppose that was never me... Uh, writing for my career it's just something I, I've always done I've used that as my therapy to write mm -hmm. and to express myself through poetry through through monologues so I would write all the time and I still got a back catalogue of hundreds of stories and st poems that you know um, one day may see the light of day I'm not sure but um, Mom, so I, 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 I didn't realise you'd written for so long and the slam poetry as well I didn't I didn't know you yeah, did that is that I've something been, you're been, still been, interested in yeah I, I've been slamming poetry for a really long time amazing <laughs> Yeah, I love it. It's really, it's a really good way of expressing yourself because it's not just in the way the words you speak. It's also in the way you breathe and the way you stop and the way you start and the intonation on certain words and, and how you express them. So it's a lot of, um, it's a lot more than just reading a poem. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful way of expressing yourself, which um, my kids think is quite cool. That I can do that. So, it is cool. Um, it, it really yeah, it is cool. cool. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I was doing it long before it became the thing that people did. But yeah, I've, you know, I've been writing for a, for I, I suppose I always wrote because it's the way I express myself. But um, with having kids, you know, I would well, eventually when I had my third when I had my third child, when I had my little girl, I I went to Open University and started my degree with them because 
I suppose that was one thing that I'd always, that was a, that was a gripe that I always had because I wasn't able to go to university. It was something yeah. that I always wanted to accomplish. It was like, I want to say that I've been to university. So I did that uh, while I was, while she was very young. Um, and the hope was to one day become a social worker. Um, and before I could even get into that kind of avenue or open that door, my husband said, oh, I think you should do Bake Off. Mm. And I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm set. I'm ready to become a social worker. And he's like, no, 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 I think you should do Bake Off just because I feel like like becoming a social worker now, it wasn't just me. At, like It's different when I'm 18 and footloose and fancy free and I don't have responsibilities. But I felt like I, at the point when I had three children, I felt like getting a degree and getting a having a career and getting a job was to add to our family, to be able mm. to have a wage, to pay for holidays, to get a bigger house, all of those things, they kind of just, it was a tick box exercise, so to speak. Yeah. And my husband just said, when have you ever done something for you? Like when? And you know, when he asked me that question, I actually realized that no, I've never actually ever done anything for me. It's always been, there's always been a reason for me to do something. Yes. And uh, it was the first time he asked that question. It's the first time I'd asked myself that question. I was like, you know what? He's right. Um, and even then I said, no, I'm not doing it. And he did the application and, 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 you know, even when I got into the final 12, I said, please, I cried hysterically. And I said, no, please ring them, ring them and tell them I'm dead. And he said, no, <laughs> he said, I'm not doing that. He said, and, and he said, uh, if you're going to ring them, you need to ring them and tell them you're dead. And I was like, uh, that, how's that going to work? Like, I can't, <laughs> but yeah, that's what I did. I said to them that like, I, I called them three times and said, um, I called them three times and, and I hung up three times. And then I just said, look, I've got to do this because when am I ever going to get a chance to do something like this? And just, that was the most, uh, that's, that's definitely the scariest thing I've ever done in my life is to um, to do the show because it was the first thing I was doing where my kids weren't involved, my husband, nobody, no, it's just all me yeah. on my own. And that was very um, exposing for me. Yes. Because it's, well, it's very easy to hide behind your family and the people you love. Yes, well, that's actually funny you say that because I was thinking that before. I was thinking there's lots of things we build into our lives sometimes that can give you a protective about the things that you're scared of. And sometimes it's, you know, oh, I, I can't do it because of, you know, because of the children or, oh, actually, you know, you can do it with work things too. Oh, I, I, I you know, you can use it as an excuse for things, really. Um, and it's funny because, you know, you'd obviously gone into some really grown-up things very young, like marriage and children, much younger than a lot of people mm. do nowadays. But at the same time, is it right that when you did the show, um, it was the first time you'd been in a taxi on your own and a train on your yeah. own and things like that? Yeah, yeah. It's the first time I've been on, in a cab on my own or in a uh, on the train. So it was like five trains to get to the tent. So um, there I was, sweating profusely, having panic attack after panic attack. Wow. And it's just like, it was the most hideous feeling and I've got to find the photo I've got a photo of me as I'm kind of just like standing at the door with my suitcase half full of clothes half full of baking tins um going to this going to the bake-off tent and wow. it's the weirdest picture because you can see the fear in my eyes <laughs> and now when I now when I look back at that picture I think about my husband and I think about the fear in his eyes because he could he sensed it he felt that fear he was like he was so scared for me I was I'd um got lost on the train I was five hours late so at that point, I felt like I'd already failed. Um, but then when I, was, I, when I eventually got to my car that was waiting for me to take me to the tent, it's the first time in a very long time I'd accomplished something completely on my own, messed up and fixed it all by myself. Wow. And, that was what, and that's what, like, I imagine that that is what any 17-year-old going on a train for the first time who gets lost has to work it out. And the, the thing for me was I was doing it seven, eight years too late with three children and a husband and a family where I felt the pressure even more so because I had to, I had to be a grown-up. Like mm. I had to know how to, as a grown-up, why don't I know how to get on a train? Why don't I know how to do these things? Because I was never conditioned or trained to learn how to do these things because they were not important. So, mm. um, and now it's the little things. Like I look at my kids, I'm like, right, when you turn 16, you are, I'm getting you on a train to Leeds. That's what I'm doing. You're going to get on a train to Leeds that's where you're going to go. And if you get lost in between, you have a phone, you have money, you'll work it out. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. When you described that, I can really f sort of just touch the sides of how scary that must have been. And that thing yeah. of thinking, I should. everybody's going to expect me to find these things easy because I'm a grown woman. 
Um, and I've, there's so many things I've already done. But, but yeah, just that thing of being on your own in, in, on the train and the panic attacks and everything, I can really, I yeah, can really and in a, the fear of that. In a frenzy, in a frenzy, I picked up sparkling water instead of a still water from uh, from a coffee shop, which I think lots of us have done because I don't like yes. sparkling water. That taste, blah, I don't like it. <laughs> it's and always then, easy to tell as well. Sometimes they swap around the colours. Yeah, because you just think it's water that's been set out, so yes. it's got bubbles on the side. <laughs> so I bought it and then I, it was obviously, I was panicking and shaking the bottle around, sat next to this lady, opened it, spilled all the water all over her. and She was so angry with me and I, I said, I'm so sorry. And I cried <sighs> next to Paddington at Paddington Station. I remember being sat there and I looked over at Paddington. I was like, oh, <laughs> it was like a Wilson moment for me where he was just looking at me. I was like, you're my only friend. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, but also when you're so anxious and uptight, when something goes wrong like that, all the emotion just comes flooding out, doesn't it? And the tears and... Well, mine did in sparkling water form. Yeah, yes. exactly. Um, so do you, do you ever meet women um, that you think are the sort of pre-the-show version? Like you can tell that they are sort of women that maybe haven't quite found that their moment or found themselves. Oh, absolutely. I find that within family members, you know, mm. people that are, you know, neighbours, friends, my sisters... Um, and I, you can hear that self-doubt, you know, when they say certain things to themselves and you can just hear, like, you can hear, they don't say, I can't do that, but in the way that they are and the way that they behave, you can see that they don't believe that they can. Yeah. And I think that is a journey that you have to take by yourself. There's nothing, like, I can sit and ram that emotion into them and say, no, 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 you can, you can, absolutely can. And I'm kind of more, like, I'm that quiet shoulder on, hand on your shoulder saying, look, you're going to be fine. And um, because I think we have to find that strength ourselves. Nobody can find it for you. Yeah. Um, and we all have a journey and we all have certain points in our life where they will be pivotal. And I think we have to cheer each other on. Um, and I don't believe that, you know, especially with my sisters, um, I've got three sisters and, you know, they have moments of self-doubt self -doubt and they struggle. And, and especially with my little, and I see it in my little girl, um, and in my boys, and, and they have moments where um, they just don't know that they can be the person that they want to be. Mm. But, you know, truth is, we, we're always, we, we, as people, we're always evolving. We're never really going to ever be that person. Um, we're always going to be a different version of ourselves. And I just, I've kind of made peace with myself that I'm never ever, I'm always evolving. Surely change means that I'm growing, means that I'm learning every single day. If I'm, that, if I'm that one person all the time, then am I evolving? Am I changing? Am I, am I really the person I want to be? And that's kind of the advice I always give to the people that I love around me when they have those moments where they just feel like they're standstill. I said, you know, maybe your life just wants to be stood still for a second. It's okay. Um, and, and, you know, you will have that moment and you will get that rush and you will climb and climb and climb and you'll stop. And then you might dip, but you will climb again. And that's okay. And that's what I tell my sisters always. And I always tell my kids that. It's like, it's okay to stand still sometimes. You don't have to always be up, you know? Like, your head will spin if you go up all the time. You've got to <laughs> stop sometimes. And so that's like, I want to, I'd like to believe that I'm the, I'm, I, 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 I'd, I'd love to always be the, the happy force, the happy force behind the, the people who are going to be the best versions of themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, and I, I, you know, kids are the best practice for that. Yeah, they really are. And yeah. I think uh, there's so much wisdom in that. And actually, I think it's it's really important what you said about the bits where you stop as well and that, that maybe life sometimes just wants you to do that. But I, I totally mm. agree about evolving, I think. And sometimes you start doing things in your life and it's only halfway through that you realise why it was important you did it. And definitely for me, with having these chats with women like you, I think it's mm. because I'm still you know, learning how to recalibrate my own life and my own desires versus, you know, family life and finding myself within that and, and sometimes giving myself permission as well to, to be a bit selfish with some things. Mm. It's quite hard to give ourselves permission sometimes to have something that's just yours. Yeah. Um, and I think especially, you know, it's still recent times, isn't it, that we're our, our mothers and our mother's mothers were, were giving themselves over to to family life completely and I mean mm. it sounds like your mum had a very very different experience of she's had a very different experience of motherhood to yours um in fact there's a bit in your book that made me feel really sad actually when you said about your I mean I, I get it completely I know I know when this happens but she said when your 
with your mum. She gave everything to her kids. And then as, as you all left, they, you all took a bit of, of her with you. And then she was sort of very empty when you'd, all, when you'd all gone. I thought that must have made a massive impression on you, seeing that happen to your mum. And that's not to say that happens to everybody's a stay-at-home mum, of course. There's, there's so many ways to find fulfilment and happiness mm. within that life. But it's got to be the life you want to be leading, I think. Yeah, I think it's taking back control of of saying, because, you know, I grew up, like, if I look back at the generations, my grandma was, um, she can't read or write, you know, she came to this country quite young with um, teenage children, and, you know, she left some of her children back there, so some of her kids still lived in Bangladesh, she came with her younger ones here, and she, you know, cannot read, cannot write, if you take a can, like, if you take the label off a can of beans, she won't know what's in there unless she opens it, so we used to, like, muck around with her and switch her baked beans for cat food don't I was mean a lovely supportive way to <laughs> yeah I used to yeah I wasn't I was I was I I, I do like a prank um, but, <laughs> yeah, it's a good one yeah and um, so you know I grew up with a grandma who's dedicated her whole life to her children and then her grandchildren and even like to this day like when she comes around or when she comes or she, she's in Bangladesh at the moment when she's like in her 90s now when she comes um, if it's a baby that can just lay there and if it's a newborn she'll happily sit and watch it for a couple of hours you know she's really good like that and if it's if it's children who can are self-sufficient she's like I'll sit with them so we leave her for hours with my granny she's mm. happy just to leave so like she um, you know she doesn't speak English doesn't read doesn't write and and literally the only you know orphaned at the age of four so she had a very tough life married at the age of 12 so she um, had a very different life to what I have and my mom again married even younger than me so 16 um, first generation British uh, in a country she knew nothing about hates the cold um, and you know housewife her entire life mm. up until the last few years um where we encouraged her said get out there get a job and you know she now is a key worker who cleans hospital linen and is basically helping to keep our country running and wow. i'm so proud of her i'm so proud of her she says don't ever she goes you've got this amazing job don't you ever tell anyone what i do and i'm like i am gonna scream it loud and proud from the rooftops you are helping to keep this country running you're helping to keep this country running and i will i'm proud of that and i'm not going to ever hide that um no, and then phenomenal. there's yeah three yeah. cheers for your mom that's amazing yeah she's amazing so um and then there's you know me who again i took that i followed that path but also i think for me um i grew up seeing this box a, a box in which women had to fit all the time and I did not like the size of that box. And in fact, I didn't like the square edges. I didn't like the straight edges of that box. And so mm. I think it's safe to say that I've obliterated that box. <laughs> yeah. um, and my mum is desperately trying to put it back together. She's like, when are you coming home to your kids? When are you going to pick? <laughs> I'm like, do you know what, mum? It's okay. There's nothing wrong with beans on toast. They eat pretty well when I'm at home. So it's all right. Um, so... Yeah, so I think I'm living a very different life to the one my parents and my mom and my grandma lived in. And, my, and no doubt my daughter will live one very different to mine. And I will be scared for the decisions she makes in her life. And I will always be afraid because she will want a life that I never had. So am I going to stop her? Absolutely not, because she has to live. She has to live. She has to live the life that she wants to. Yeah. And that's the difference, I suppose, is that the way we think slowly, little by little, you know, that, you know, that kind of, each hurdle that each generation of women knocks down, eventually, one day, our kids will have a clear run with no hurdles. I mean, let's face it, there will always be hurdles because that's the world we live in. But, um, you know, the whole point of doing this and breaking those boundaries and breaking out of that box is to say that I'm breaking some of those, those I'm, I'm saying no to some of those rules. I'm saying that, you know, we can, you know, you can be happy and you can live and, 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 you know, I suppose we're always in that, on that. Well, I'm always, as a mother, I'm always going to be on that journey of self kind of looking for myself. But in, in, in knowing the end goal in knowing that I'm knocking down some of those hurdles for my children gives me peace to know that, that I'm actually I am the version of myself that I've always wanted to be. And it's about finding peace in this moment, because I know in five years time, I want to change and I want to be a different version of myself and I want to change something else and I have a new fight to fight. Mm -hmm. But for now, it gives me peace to know that I am the version of the person I want to be right now. Absolutely. And yeah. you're never going to, you know, it's part of um, parenting is to, you know, make mistakes that your kids, you hope they don't make the same mistakes. That's kind of part of the the baton you pass on. I mean, when, when you've come into 
such an extraordinary life change like yours has been in the last um, five years, does it, when, when it's so much about your sort of own self-enrichment, does it still have that sort of guilt of, of the work or is it very different when it's so much more of a personal journey? I don't know about you, but like I don't think I'll ever not feel guilty. Yeah, no, I definitely feel feel guilty. Are you, yeah. are you definitely on? The, yeah, <laughs> see, I'm 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 there right there with you. I don't I don't think I don't I think no matter what job you do, I think you always feel guilty. But that being said, there's also that battle, and which I think I f- I feel like you're going to say yes to this. I, f- I and I will ask you the question, but like because of the job I do and because it's so public facing, people have this image that you have the best life you have everything that you could ever ask for Mm. and you have money and you have a nice house and you have happy children and you have a wonderful husband and they see this image on the outside and it's still hard you know my kids still get sick I still have to not do jobs there are jobs that I have to refuse because I have to be at home Mm -hmm. and you know like people see this image and so when they see this image you are almost stripped of the right to feel any emotion Mm. um you kind of have to be forever you know, always like this is like you, you're stripped of the right to have any emotion or to feel like you can say, oh, you know, I'm having a bit of a bad day today. It was like, well, why? You know, I, I get this kind of, I get these comments like, why? how can you possibly have a bad day? You have everything. It's like, no, no, no. You know, you can still have, you can still be happy and have everything you've ever wanted and still feel sad. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I think there's definitely that, that's something that I really struggle with because, you know, even though I have everything that I could have ever wanted, there is this kind of feeling that you, you can't, um, you can't. You're stripped of all emotion. Like yeah. You can't have those those feelings. Uh, but you can, and you can have everything and still feel sad. Um, I don't even know what you were asking. I completely went off on a tangent. <laughs> no, we're just chatting, really. I mean, just um, chatting. I think also it's possible to still. Sometimes I feel like a really great mum, and other times I feel like a terrible mum. So I think that, yeah. all, that those things all run concurrently as well. And, yeah, just know, the guilt. I think the guilt's always there. I think, I, I think I've just accepted that I'll always feel guilty, but maybe that's just a part of being a mum because I always ask my husband. Like, he used to work away quite a lot from home and I was like, did you ever feel really guilty? He's like, nah, not really. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting that. That's a whole, mm-hmm. other, whole other conversation. Well, I'll, I'll let you get on in a minute, but um, I suppose the only other thing I thought it was probably prudent to ask you um, because everything's been going on this year and I know you've you've mentioned about your parents experiencing racism and... I know you yeah. did when you were small too, but there's been so much happening this year. Do you feel like things are getting better in in the United Kingdom? Well, you see, I get asked that question quite a lot. It's like, do you think it's getting better? I think that just because we have hashtags on social media uh, and because we have these uh, little... Um, is it getting better? It's a really tough one to answer. It is. It's probably not even the right question, really, but I suppose no, it's the, it, I is think the progression... Yeah, I think I think it is the right question. I think the fact that we're asking the question is 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 good because we're talking about it. Mm. But racism has been such a part, big part of my life. It's almost quite sometimes quite difficult to talk about because yeah. there's like my grandparents, my granddad was so badly abused for being a Muslim man in a very English area, and he was very outwardly Muslim. You know, he had a beard and he'd wear a hat. And, now my granddad suffered terrible racism. My parents have suffered racism, and I have suffered racism. So mm. it's a, just become a part of my my history is part of who I am and I kind of say to my kids I don't want you to suffer racism but I just I think you need to warn you that you might you know you are brown children in a very white world and you 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 will suffer it at some point in your life but just remember you know I'm here and we can always talk about it but has it changed I think the fact that we're talking about it is great I think um I've in since uh, the movement since Black Lives Matters and since we're talking about it I've had lo- I've had lots of conversations with people who say well I've got lots of black friends I've got colored friends that doesn't make me a racist I'm saying you know like I'm not I'm not suggesting for a second anyone's racist I'm just saying that are we educating ourselves enough like are Mm. we really like are we really getting the facts are we looking at our lives and saying what needs to change in my life to show that I'm supporting this movement and you know I look at my social media feed and I look at the people where I shop and the people I shop you know like who you know where my money goes and what I'm spending my money on I think actually there's a problem here there's a problem here. Just looking at my timeline, like how many people do I follow that, you know, give me diversity in my timeline? And, you know, who, and, and even when I go to work, like I, I posted a picture of myself at work 
socially distanced with the crew. And I was the only person of colour mm. in that crew. And somebody pointed out and they said, there's a problem, right? And I was like, absolutely. And I don't see it because I'm having a great time at work. But actually, there's a bigger problem here. So, I mean, fundamentally, there's a huge problem that we have to be a part of fixing and we have to be a part of the solution. And part yeah. of that is educating ourselves. And, um, and, and that's where when... I talk about racism and I get that backlash on social media where they say, well, here she goes again, the race card. Actually, you know what? In those moments, I won't let those people stop me because it is a problem and we do need to talk about it. And the second we stop is the second we failed. And, um, and, and I know that when my, my, when my granddad was beaten black and blue um, for being a, a brown man, um, and, and he still got up and, you know, left for dead. He's managed to get up and say, nope, I'm going to make this country my home because I need my grandchildren to make this country their home. Like he didn't, he can't have done that in vain. And if I don't talk and if we don't talk about it, you know, my, that would have happened in vain. Mm. Um, and so it's really important to carry that on. And ca- that, that's a legacy that I have to carry. Um, and it's not always easy. And it's not always easy talking about race and, and, and some of the stuff that, that my family have suffered but it's one that has to be, yeah. it's a conversation that has to be had. No, it's so. vital. It's, it mm-hmm. is vital. And I think for my generation, it's really important because we, when I was at school, it was very much about not seeing the colour of people's skin. It was all, we're all the same. And actually, it's kind of a slight unlearning of that and saying, no, no, you can acknowledge that we don't all look the same and there's actually conversations to be had within that. And I think it's really, I think it's really important. And I was thinking as well, when you're talking about your granddad, I was thinking, actually, it sounds like your family you know, you might all have different interpretations of, you know, what traditions you take on and what you take on from generation to generation. But there's loads of people in your family that have done something really scary. Like when your granddad came here, yeah. that must have been terrifying. You said your mum was fearful, but she still continued her life here and now works here. And for you, you know, all the things you've done and getting on that train that day, and you've obviously got, a, even though you've got different approaches, you've actually got a real line of facing something really scary and saying I'm yeah. going to dig my heels in and make this my own yeah and that's and, and I think that we've got a long history of not giving up yeah I, I can imagine yeah and it's certainly not going to stop with me that's for sure and <laughs> no I way to, yeah it's not going to stop I'm going to I'm going to keep on carrying on yeah <laughs> oh, oh it's been lovely oh. talking to you yeah you too Nadia and thanks for persevering with the I'm, no, I'm off to cool. go and burn clean feed whatever it is yeah um <laughs> get and, it off your phone uh, I want to see you on wheelbarrow day please Yes. Send me a message when it's wheelbarrow day and oh, I'll come with listen, a bin bag to collect like, any we've food. Had, we've <laughs> had with a my chat. own wheelbarrow. Yeah, we've had a chat. We've had a chat. I feel like I know you now. It's exactly. Like, like you, I owe you cake now. I owe you some cake. <laughs> oh, come that's on. That's brilliant. You're actually, I, technically, I owe you cake, but I won't argue with you. Okay, cool. <laughs> Definitely some cake at some point, hopefully. Uh, thank I hope you so I'll much, Nadia. Honestly, cross. it's a real pleasure to talk to you and thanks as well thank for you. your patience with persevering no, it's with, okay. with everything. Thank you. Have a lovely day. Thanks a lot. Bye. You too. Stay safe. You too. There you go. That was me um, chatting to Nadia Hussain. See, I told... Well, you already knew she was lovely. We knew she was lovely, didn't we? And I think, isn't it really inspiring that you can hear from someone who's so clearly so grounded in family life and yet she can talk so candidly about what it felt like to not immediately fall in love with her first baby? You know, these things happen to people and it's just wonderful to get conversations out there because they feel like such a big taboo if it's happening to you. Um, you know, and also to talk about her social anxiety to the point of, you know, pretending she, she's thinking, considering pretending she died just so she didn't have to do Bake Off. Um, and I'm really glad that she didn't pretend she died and she did actually go and do Bake Off and go on to inspire so many people. So thank you to Nadia, thank you to you, thank you to my team for uh, getting together again, getting the old gang together again for the podcast series. That's my lovely producer, Claire Jones, uh, my lovely husband, Richard, who has unwittingly become my editor. Uh, for reference, see Pandemic. Yep, he's been stuck in doors with me with a studio and I don't know how to edit my show. <laughs> so I asked him and he did it. Um, and thank you to Ella May for doing all my artwork. And that's kind of it, you know. That's the team. Uh, we care about it very much. We care that you care. Thank you for coming here again and see you next week. Oh, I'm excited to be back. You can tell, can't you? woo See you soon. Look after yourself. Bye-bye.
our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.